Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Chicago. We're going to talk about the NFL. And we'll be joined the rest of the hour by Dr. Derwin Gray in his new book, The Good Life. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. Not back. This is the beginning of the show. Well, I mean, welcome back from... The weekend. the weekend. Yeah, welcome yeah. back from the weekend. Welcome Glad back. you made it. Glad you're still here. I mean, it's going to be Monday, isn't it? This is going to be. <laughs> We're off and rolling on a Monday. The yeah. Monday is show. People, you hear that, Brian? That's the sound of people turning off their radios citywide. They're like, nope, gave him a chance. Yeah. <laughs> I only I only give my host 12 seconds of a chance. And yeah, he failed. Let's see how they start Monday's show. <laughs> Let's see if I can do the rest of this. Uh, Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com slash the common good Instagram and Twitter at common good talk and wherever it is you get your podcast subscribing rating and reviewing both on the podcast and the Facebook page helps us out a whole ton helps uh, get the show in front of more eyeballs I got a whole bunch of links in the rundown for this first segment Brian yep. I, I don't really want to talk a whole lot about this first one but it says NBC News right poll 80% of voters say things are out of control in the United States what do you yeah. think of that uh, it's when I read that for the first time, I was like, that's crazy. But then when you just think for five seconds about what's going on in our culture, you're like, yeah, actually, that makes sense. Right. From right. coronavirus to the economy to obviously now all that's going on with police brutality and George Floyd. Uh, and then uh, it's like we can't catch our breath here. It's like we can't come up from water. And so. Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, but it's really stark. You see it and you're like, oh, my right. gosh, eight out of 10, 80 percent. That's pretty crazy. Well, and speaking of stark, I, I wanted to at least mention in the headline of this other one out of Chicago Sun-Times is 18 murders in 24 hours inside the most violent day in 60 years in Chicago. Um, wow. That is a, that's just a stagger. Maybe we'll dedicate like an entire segment to that later. 60 I, years. Wow. I can't even wrap my head around that entirely. That is so and it's right in our city. So I want to at least mention it. And it's on our Facebook page. If you want to dialogue about it there, maybe we'll include some of your comments in, yeah. a, uh, in a future segment. But I, I did. This isn't really sports news, but I know that you're kind of hurting being the sports guy of this pair. And uh, so I dropped a couple of links that pertain to the NFL in here. You want to get us into that? That's right. And and you should, as you alluded to at the beginning, uh, Pastor Derwin Gray is about to join us and he is an ex NFL player. So you yeah, really you right. really uh, helped me out today. So uh, <laughs> I got you. But yet, yeah, you know, the NFL, uh, for good reason, uh, has been at the forefront over the last couple of years around especially the protests about police brutality, because uh, if you've spent any time, even if you're an NFL fan, you probably know the name Colin Kaepernick. Uh, and Colin Kaepernick, all the way back in 2016, started taking a knee during the national anthem, uh, but was very clear. Uh, Kaepernick was very clear at the time. Uh, I love America. That's why I'm doing this. And I, as long as there's still uh, systemic racism and uh, uh, issues of police brutality, like he was very clear. I'm taking a knee because of issues of police brutality. Uh and he got widely criticized and not just criticized. It is pretty common knowledge that he got blackballed from the NFL. He has not been in the league since 2016. And while he wasn't a top 10 quarterback, he was definitely in the top half of quarterbacks in the league. And that's yeah. just started quarterbacks. If you add in backup quarterbacks, it's pretty egregious uh, and pretty transparent as to why he doesn't have a job. Uh, and so now fast forward to this last couple of weeks with everything 
around the murder of George Floyd and all that we saw with Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. Uh, and uh, it's kind of brought the, the issue of police brutality and protesting back up. And then you got the Drew Brees stuff from earlier last week where he right. said and he's walked it all back. Right. Uh, but where he said people still shouldn't kneel. Um, although I don't know if you saw him really go at the president when the president tried to jump on that this week. Um, Drew Brees has done a good job apologizing. We'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> so then to finish the story, a bunch of the biggest names in the NFL put out a video, I believe, on Friday, basically saying things like, I, I am George Floyd. I'm Breonna Taylor. This right. could be me. And it all culminated, I believe, on Saturday, where the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, who is the front for the um, for the owners, and he's basically the one, they're the ones who kind of blackballed Colin Kaepernick. Roger Goodell released a powerful video, a recorded video, in which he admitted the league was, quote, wrong. He used the word lo- wrong mm. for not listening to players who protested against social injustice and po- police brutality. He said he wants players to continue to speak out through protesting. So people are going, I think he's actually inviting kneeling now, not just mm. permitting it, but inviting it. Uh, and he said, I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no National Football League. So this was a a Big seismic deal. shift. Now, yeah. I would make the point he never used the name Colin Kaepernick. Right. Uh, people, Some people were uh, disappointed in that. But I do think, Ian, what this shows is, and we'll see what the results are, right? Like the proof's going to be in the pudding in the coming months and the coming years as a culture. But man, the NFL, what happened this past week really kind of typifies this kind of seismic shift going on within our culture that hopefully leads to real change here after the protests die down and everything kind of calms down. Hopefully it leads to real and substantive change. Well, one of the things I, I shared this weekend, I said, uh, I propose that we normalize celebrating when someone changes their mind when presented yeah, with new information. And I said, lament, listen, learn, love. Now, obviously, we'll have people listening right now that completely disagree with Kaepernick through and through. They disagree yep. with this uh, supposed 180 from the NFL. What I would love to know, and you do a good job of, of kind of balancing these things, Brian, because on one end, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of, someone who's got a lot to lose by maybe not coming out with a statement like this? Like, do you buy it outright? Or is there a, a part of you that feels like, ah, this feels like pandering or feels like too little too late? Or do you disagree? Like, where do you, where do you kind of land in, uh, in the events of the last couple of days from the NFL? So it's hard knowing how the NFL treated the Colin Kaepernick protests. Cause Colin Kaepernick was doing those protests when this wasn't kind of a, you know, a thing that was out there that a lot of people were doing. Right. And so uh, it's hard not to look at it through those lenses and go, wow, this is kind of, you know, good PR. Um, although mm. a lot of people close to Roger Goodell have said that he's always actually wanted to push the envelope and be kind of at the front of this, but mm. uh, almost of the owners haven't wanted to be. And so it goes back to what I said before. It goes back to the proof's going to be in the pudding. Like, right. What happens? We're still three, four months away from a uh, from an NFL game happening, if they right. happen, you know, right. we're still in a pandemic. Right. Uh, but assuming that they happen and half of a team kneels on that first week, three quarters of a team kneels on the sideline, um, what will the NFL's response be? Right now from his video, it's not only going to be permissible, but it's going to be applauded. 
but we'll see. Let's see if that's what it is. And I think that's when you can kind of look back on articles like this and go, okay, he really meant it. Or yeah, that was kind of a PR move. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I imagine, too, there are people that are listening thinking, no, I still think Kaepernick's wrong, and now I think the NFL is wrong. And either yep. way, uh, we know that we can't have a dialogue right here and now, but that is one of the things that we would hope the Facebook page could serve right. as. What do you think? How are you wrestling with this? How are you grappling? Maybe what are the other things that you're learning alongside this decision that has made you feel differently about it now than you did a year ago? Either way. All of that's on the Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. We would love for that. And again, let's keep it civil, please, as best yeah, we can. Please. Uh, but yeah, we'd love for there to be some uh, some dialogue and conversation there. And I'm absolutely thrilled for our, our next guest. He's going to stick with us for the remainder of the hour, Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray, former NFL, pa- uh, NFL pastor, NFL player. <laughs> Boy, it is Monday. It is yes. Monday through and through. But also, and you'll learn exactly why, but his new book, The Good Life, is one of those sort of prophetic books that I think is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. You can learn more at thegoodlifebook.net. And that's all coming up next here in The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a bunch of places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get your podcast. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all that jazz helps us out a whole ton. And Brian and I have been saying, in particular for the last couple of weeks, how we really want to assume a posture of listener of Learner, and I am absolutely thrilled to have on the phone right now Pastor Derwin Gray. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me. It's an honor to be with you. And we really appreciate it. Would you take just a minute or two and introduce yourself to our audience in whatever way you see fit? Yep. I am husband to Vicky of 28 years. Right I met her second semester my freshman year Oof. in college. We've been together ever since. I'm father to Presley, 23, and Jeremiah, 19, and I'm the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Right on. Awesome. Duran, we're really glad for you to join us. You had a new book that just came out last week uh, called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Happiness. Uh, Before diving into the book, although I know it will intersect with it a bit, uh, just I would love to just hear how the last two weeks has been for you individually and also as you lead a church. What have this last two weeks been like for you? Yeah, you know, so I would say for me, my my soul is strong, but my spirit is weary Mm. and that um, the reality of racism and police brutality and systematic injustice is nothing new to the black community. And so as a pastor of an intentionally Jesus-centered, gospel-shaped, multi-ethnic church, and even before planting Transformation Church, I've been talking about a theology of ethnic reconciliation where the gospel reconciles us to God and reconciles us to each other across cross-cultural lines. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that message has just been dismissed. The issues of justice have been just dismissed. And I think with the George Floyd murder, the way in which it was blazingly carried out, also when we seen in Central Park a woman saying 
she's going to call the police and say it's an African-American man when she had broken the rules. She knew she could weaponize the fact that he was a black man. And then that same week that George Floyd was killed, we had a youth pastor in Georgia who got caught in a hotel room soliciting sex on Craigslist. And his explanation for how he got into the hotel room was two black men kidnapped him. And so we live in a culture that blackness can be weaponized against you. And for the first time in my life as an evangelical Christian, I'm seeing white pastors and white Christians go, I think we need to listen. And so what I would say is that uh, it's a season of lament. Yeah, It's a season of repent. And it's a season of now being sent that this isn't anything new to the gospel. It's something that we've been blindsided to. So uh, my soul is strong. My spirit is weary. And I see signs of hope in the midst of this. Man, that actually is really encouraging. You were mentioning before we went live, actually, that you were speaking at a bunch of different churches this last week. I know our church in particular, our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, went in the city with the partner church. And it looked like a lot of churches not only took a pause from like their regularly scheduled plan, but also it looked more like a conversation than a sermon. And I, I'd be curious to know what was it like preaching in four different contexts or four, four different contexts in the midst of like a time of unprecedented restlessness. Yeah. You know, for me, it, uh, I just filmed messages and sent, sent them off, but right. at transformation church and please don't hear this as boasting, but hear my heart. I plan my sermons about eight to 12 weeks in advance. Mm -hmm. I have not had to change one sermon in response Mm -hmm. to our culture because this is intrinsic to who we are. Wow. So, so last week's message was, uh, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Wow. And, and so I've literally had to change nothing in 2020 because this is intrinsic to who we are. And so what I've said to our church is God has used us to till hard soil. We've been ignored. We've been marginalized. Uh, he's, he's prepared us to plant seeds and now it's harvest time that people are going, okay, we're now ready to listen And we want the church should be leading the way. Yeah, that's right. As it pertains to redemptive justice. And I'm so heartbroken on how so many Christians, whether on the progressive left or the Trump right, Mm -hmm. have gotten sucked into political idolatry. And we're not the party of the elephant. We're not the party of the donkey. We're the party of the lamb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Duran, you, you, as we said earlier, you came out with a book <laughs> prophetically just this past week called The Good Life. You can find it at thegoodlifebook.net. And it's to the point that you're giving a chapter away today. I believe you said it's chapter eight because it speaks so much into our current context. Could you tell us kind of the heart behind the book and then specifically about that specific chapter? Yeah, yeah. So let me, let me reverse those orders. So about a month ago, Uh, We gave away chapter five for free of The Good Life because I wrote about how the early church in the Greco-Roman world responded to pandemics and how after a pandemic, the church would grow because of the way the church responded. 
So we gave that chapter away for free. Mm-hmm. Now we're giving chapter eight away for free called Happy Are the Peacemakers because I open up the chapter with the police beating of Rodney King and I talk about wow. the division within our country along cultural and ethnic lines. And then I prepare and work through what's called a theology of ethnic reconciliation mm-hmm. so that practical, actionable, Jesus-centered steps can be taken forward. Um, people ask me, well, Derwin, are you a part of Black Lives Matter? No, I'm a part of Jesus says all life matters. And yes, Black Lives Matter in this country, meaning that the scales of injustice have not been fond towards black men. And so where there's injustice, Jesus's people are there to lovingly and graciously provide a response. And so I had no idea how prophetic and how timely this book would be. And so we want to give chapter eight away for free at thegoodlifebook.net. But the point of writing the book, The Good Life, uh, finding true happiness is to look at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes in Matthew 5 describes eight characteristics of a happy person. The word blessed, as you guys know in Greek, is the word makros, and it means happy. And so to summarize it, the happiness that God wants to give us leads us to holiness because of this. Hmm. The happiness that God gives us is not about good things happening to us. Hmm. It's about a good God making us good. Hmm. And that produces holiness, and holiness then leads to mission. That's really good. So, Derwin, what you're saying is we should read the rest of the book to find out how the rest of our year is going to go. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Brother, hey, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting anything past the Lord now. Because, <laughs> um, and, and as of right now, I mean, it is, it is, it's number one on Amazon in its wow. category. It's selling like crazy. They've wow. run out. They've restocked. But go to the goodlifebook.net, and that's where you can get other platforms where you can buy the book. Um, but I knew when I was writing it, something beautiful and special was going to happen because it's literally a book about Jesus opening up mm. the greatest sermon ever preached. Yeah. And I love the fact that his happiness produces holiness. And that's what we all want is to become whole human beings as God created us to be. Yeah, that's so good, man. I'm so grateful. That third voice you're hearing is Derwin Gray. He's going to stick around with us for the rest of the hour. We're talking about his book. I cannot encourage you enough to get it. Thegoodlifebook.net is where to go. From an early age, mm-hmm. we're trained to want happiness. Come on, let's try again. As we grow into adults, the desire to be happy doesn't go away. Maybe if we find the right spouse and maybe if we raise the perfect kid... Maybe if we get the big office in the big corner with the big salary, we can be happy. Trying to find lasting happiness is like chasing your shadow. What starts out as childish fun erodes into adult frustration, failure, and disappointment. Make sure you read up to page 155 so you're ready for the test. What if getting what we desire was never meant to make us happy? What if the happiness we're hustling after Gotta have those numbers ASAP. Okay, yes, sir. Can never be caught. 
I'm Dr. Derwin Gray, and I wrote The Good Life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness to share how Jesus and the Beatitudes paints a portrait so moving that simply gazing at it, we're transported into a different world, one that is more beautiful and life-giving. 2,000 years ago, Jesus invited us to discover the happiness we long to experience. The invitation still stands. You don't have to chase shadows anymore. Jesus, happiness himself, is chasing you. Are you ready? Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post articles. You can send us messages. You can also find our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. If you would mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing to both the Facebook page and the podcast does actually help us out. It changes the algorithm so more people can find out about the show. But we are absolutely thrilled to have Derwin Gray for the rest of the hour here on the show. He's talking about his new book, thegoodlifebook.net is where to go. But you also, you seem to have sort of this prophetic bent. And I don't know if you've always felt this way, if you have this now, but I would love to know what is, what is the last week or so been like for you as it pertains to like social media and what you see people tweeting or sharing or posting? I know that you're pretty avid on Twitter and you're sharing stuff that you're reading and watching. What, what has that all been like to navigate? Yeah, you know, I um, let me let me talk about the overwhelming positiveness I see, and I want to take a moment to uh, just give a high five to the Gen Zs mm. and the younger millennials. I, uh, I I was in a peaceful protest yesterday, and I saw so many high school students, preteens, um, young college students, younger millennials, white, black all various shades of Asian and Latino. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I think there's hope for the church to break out of this, what I call Western reductionistic view of the gospel that uh, Jesus just wants to save me individually, but we don't see the cosmic redemption of mm. the blood of Jesus, which is to unite all things. And these young people are, are saying, look, um, I'm not having it. And so right. we need to really minister to them or they're going to go to the wrong side, right? Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure to root and ground them in a big gospel and a great God who cares about the least and the marginalized. And, and so that was incredibly hopeful. Um, and then, you know, the other sad part is, I'll send something on Twitter and someone will say, well, Derwin, what about black on black crime? And I'll, I'll say, brother, I'm a Christian. All crime is bad, right? Why don't white crime and black on black crime and why don't white crime and Latino Latino crime is actually a picture of the segregated society and cultures that we live in because crime is usually based on proximity. But my point is this, criminals do what criminals do. Mm. Police officers have sworn an oath to protect and to serve, and the reality is, is we love our men and women in blue. Our church, Transformation Church, has gotten rewards, awards from the city of Charlotte for our help and what we've done for the police department and our South Carolina community as well. We, we can peacefully protest and desire police reform as well, but the idea that all this protest is simply about George Floyd misses the greater historical narrative. And 
it makes me sad when my white brothers and sisters, when I'll get an email or a text or IG or whatever, and they'll say, well, that's in the past. And my thing is, well, okay, so let's don't bring up World War II then. Right. Unless right. we talk about Japanese internment camps. Like we can talk, if we don't look at the ugly parts of our history, we're doomed to repeat, repeat it. And let me put on my pastor hat here. If you're a white brother or sister struggling with the past of America, please remember your identity is not as an American. Your identity is a blood bought, beloved child Mm -hmm. of the Jewish Messiah, Mm -hmm. Jesus, the saving King. When our identity is in him, we can look at things objectively. Yeah. And Derwin, I haven't followed you on Twitter. I know enough that that you're kind of leading nationally when it comes to uh, the multi-ethnic church and how to be intentional about that. And some people might hear that and be like, why does that even take intentionality? Hmm. Uh, Can you explain how much intentionality, what kind of those steps are to grow towards that uh, gospel-centered multi-ethnic congregation? Yeah, you know, the first thing is everything starts with theology. And if you would bear with me, uh, Galatians 3a, the Apostle Paul says this, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham in this, saying that all the nations would be blessed. God made a covenant with Abraham and told Abraham, I'm going to give you a family that's comprised of all the families on earth. Jesus comes through the line of Israel, King of David, the Jewish Messiah. He lives a sinless life, an atoning sacrificial death on the cross, raises again, sends the Spirit to guarantee Abraham that he would give him a family of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Therefore, we're not just forgiven of sins. We get a new family with different colored skins, and this new family is to be a family of oneness, teaching the world in darkness what light truly looks like. Unfortunately, in a racialized culture in America, we have not done that. And so when we planted Transformation Church, we wanted to be a Pauline New Testament church. And there is no doubt, it is irrefutable that the early church was comprised of Jewish people and Gentile people, as Ephesians 2 14 says that the two have become one Mm -hmm. because of the cross. Right. So we're, 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 we're intentional because of the gospel. We're intentional with multi-ethnic leadership. We're intentional with music and we're intentional about discipling our congregation to be cross-cultural missionaries. And that means this, I want to listen to your story. I want to listen to understand before being understood. Mm. That's great. So that, that actually brings up a really important question because one of the things that I often hear people say is, oh, it's, I'm glad that that pastor over there has a multi-ethnic church. That's not really my thing, though. Like, I'm glad that they mm-hmm. over there are taking care of that. That's not – I don't know that that's my calling. And one, one of the things you tweeted uh, a week or two ago from Facts and Trends, and the headline simply reads, every church should strive to achieve racial diversity. Can you Can you talk a little bit more about that idea? Yeah, is that if your demographics allow for it, we should strive for it because it's God's heartbeat. Think about it. The new heavens, new earth, every nation, tribe, and tongue. The early church was overwhelmingly Jew, Gentile. God made a promise to Abraham. And so what happens is, is when you look at the New Testament, just circle all the times that you see Gentile, all the time you see Jewish, all the time you see those things, because the problem is this. 
the human race destroys each other and Jesus came to destroy the sin that destroys us so that God can have a family. And so it's not optional. Mm. It is a command. And here's a, and here's the thing too, whether it's all black church, whatever, whatever, whatever people will say, well, Derwin, I'm not racist. And my thing, I go, well, it's not enough, not just to be racist. Are you anti-racist because of the gospel? Also, how do you know you're not racist? You don't have any friends that don't look like you. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. And that's also interesting. I've been listening to this podcast, this 14 part podcast uh, from scene on radio about like the history of race. And I'm realizing there's so much stuff that I've been complicit in that I didn't even realize, right? Like, how do you how do you know if you don't do the hard work of actually, you know, digging deep between, you know, the history of where you come from and what you're a part of? And I'm wondering, and we'll get into this in the next segment, but are there stuff, are there things you're like reading or listening or watching right now that you would encourage other people to check out? Yeah, you know, the first thing is, I'm, uh, I, I have a doctorate, right? So I am a, I am a scholar. I love to study, but my motivation to study is love. Mm-hmm. One of my first prayers that I ever prayed when I got saved was God, let me be able to communicate the gospel to anybody from any ethnicity, mm-hmm. any culture, any social economic, give me that gift to be able to do that. And for the last 20 plus years, um, that's what I've done is I've worked hard. And when you are a minority in a majority world, you tend to see things differently from that perspective. And it gives you a heart for compassion. And so what happens is, is oftentimes the majority culture is handicapped by its privilege and doesn't see a need. And that's why taking a posture of being a student and a learner is so important. That's so good. I'm so grateful that Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray is going to join us for one more segment. We haven't mentioned it yet. He's also a former NFL player, which I know Brian is itching to ask him about. He has a brand new book called The Good Life. Can't encourage you enough to learn more at thegoodlifebook.net. As Christians, to be a peacemaker, blessed are the peacemaker, means if my brothers and sisters are hurting, and even those who aren't my brothers and sisters who are hurting, I must hurt, I must care, I must speak out. So what I'm saying is, is we've been having the conversation, and what I want to say to my white pastor friends, please hear me. If the only time you preach about race is when there's a national tragedy, you're part of the problem. It's all throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that justice matters. It matters. Why do you think Jesus told stories about a good Samaritan? Do you know how racially charged that was in a Jewish world? This isn't a conversation we need to have because the conversation has been having. It's time for you to join in to the action and be discipled. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray, who I just mentioned was a former NFL player, but also the author of a brand new book called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding True Happiness. Can't encourage you enough to go to thegoodlifebook.net to learn more. They're giving away a couple of free chapters, but Brian, I know that you're just itching to ask him an NFL question, so I'll let you go for it. Sure, Duran, I'm I'm a uh, suffering New York Giants fan here, so uh, bear with me. But uh, <laughs> I'm actually, as I've followed you and read your stuff, I'm curious how being in the NFL, uh, if it at all prepared you to be a pastor. How are how are they at all similar? 
Yeah, you know, um, the thing that I would say is my football background has helped me tremendously in learning how to lead. Uh, my high school coach taught me vision casting. My college coach, Lavelle Edwards, he taught me the power of delegation. One of my NFL coaches, Dom Capers, taught me the importance of time management time management and organization. Also, here's what's pretty unique, right? When you when you get to the NFL, um, you have a team goal, you've got positions, and everybody sacrifices to make that happen. And so the church should be exactly the same way, right? Um, God the Father is the owner. Jesus is the GM. The Holy Spirit is the talent scout. And, you know, pastors are, are like the, the coaches and the congregation are the players. But the difference with a congregation is we tend to look at it from a consumer perspective. What can Jesus do for me versus a participation perspective? How can I partner with Jesus and what he wants to do? And so football was incredible. You have to learn to get along with people from all kinds of backgrounds. And you put the churchary things secondary to the main thing, which is being the best team that you can be. So football has helped me extensively um, as a follower of Jesus and as a leader and as a strategist. That's so good. All right, Doran, one of the things I've been trying to do on this show a lot, and I mentioned at the very beginning, Brian and I are trying to really intentionally assume a posture of of listener, of learner, of, of lament. And I know that we just have a few minutes together, but I'm wondering, are there documentaries or podcasts or voices or people other than yourself that you would encourage people to listen to or to check out. I saw that you tweeted something about 13th on Netflix, which was phenomenal, but also heart wrenching. Are there other sources that you could point people towards that you would encourage them to check? Absolutely. Uh, I would, I would say obviously looking at 13th will give you a contemporary understanding. Uh, I would get the book called the compromise of color by Jameer Tisby. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, there's a book called, um, divided by faith by Michael Emerson and a couple of other scholars. Um, I've written a book called the high definition leader. That's probably more for pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, miles McPherson has written a book called the third mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would read the book white fragility. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's several other books as well, but that'll give you a really good start. And my book, that chapter eight, will give you a, a just a sense from Jesus's world in the first century world, uh, a theology of ethnic reconciliation rooted in the gospel. Right. Mm. So good. And again, if you're just joining us, Derwin has just released a book called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding True Happiness. And I want to circle back there uh, and ask this question. Uh if someone's out there, we, you, you begin by saying everybody wants to be happy. How will we know? How would somebody know when they're chasing after the wrong things for happiness? And what would the result be in their lives? Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that I said is this, and I'm preaching through a series at our church called The Good Life. And in chapter two, I said this is that when we pursue the wrong kind of happiness, we become the wrong kind of people. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes what we are desiring is apps actually messing us up. So when you think of the Lord of the Rings, Gollum started out as a hobbit, mm. but his pursuit of that ring turned his soul ugly. And often we're pursuing 
this form of happiness that actually leads to what's called idolatry. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, no, what's going to make you happy is actually me forming you into my image right. and our happiness actually leads us to becoming the people we never, ever thought that we would be. And it's a happiness that's rooted in purpose. And it's a happiness that allows us to reimagine the world as it should be as we join Jesus in ushering in his kingdom. Man, that's mm-hmm. so good. All right, I want to I want to try and sneak two questions in here, which I realize is like a radio no-no, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> two things. Yeah, do One, it, do it. I would love to know, uh, are you hopeful? When you, when you look at the world and all that's happening, are, are you hopeful? And secondly, kind of selfishly, I would love to know, how can we, not just Brian and I, but our audience, how can we be lifting you all up in prayer? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is, of course I'm hopeful because hope has a name. His name is Jesus, and he walked up out of that tomb, and because he is a new creation himself, he says one day he is coming back to make all things new. So I'm incredibly hopeful. Transformation Church is in the midst of a revival. Let's remember, um, the church is different from the world. Where everybody else has chaos, we need to have calm. When everybody else is blinded, we need to see. And so I'm hopeful for the church. Like like I said, transformation, we are experiencing revival of epic proportions. I'm hopeful about our place in the church in America mm. to equip other churches that I feel like now predominantly white pastors are ready to go. I, I want to listen now because mm. I literally have no answers. And I'm going, good, let's do this. All right. I love it. I love it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm hopeful, man. Hopeful. That's great. Man. What was the other question? How can we be praying for you? Oh, how can you pray for us? You, you know what? Uh, just pray for my energy. Mondays are tough. Just, mm-hmm. just pray for my energy. And uh, just as Nehemiah stayed on the wall, mm-hmm. I just want to stay on the wall. I just want to stay on the wall. And I want to teach the world to love. And I just want to leave it with, with this. Jesus said this, but I say to you, Pray for those who persecute you. That's right. And love your enemies. Mm. My goodness, that's so good. You've been listening to Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray, who just released a brand new book called The Good Life. I cannot encourage you enough to go get it. You can learn more at thegoodlifebook.net. That's thegoodlifebook.net. And if that wasn't easy enough, they're giving away chapters that are particularly timely to what's happening in our world right now. Derwin, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it so much. Hey, thank you guys so much. Keep up the great work. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Tim Keller, and we're joined by Pastor Quentin Mumphrey from Chicago. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, who is here for the ride. I don't know why. <laughs> yes. I don't, that's not going to fly. Buckled in and ready to roll. Here we go. Buckled in. Just picture you like with those uh, like aviator goggles and a scarf or something. <laughs> Just you are in, correct. In your kitchen. What proximity is uh, Pippa right now from where you're at, by the way? Far be- away. My, <laughs> although after Friday's incident, my, my family listened to it on the podcast and thought it was very funny. So she if also thought it was the best radio we've done in a while. Right. I was gonna say, if you don't know what he's talking about, that's a perfect segue to talk about yes. our podcast. It's uh, anywhere you get podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. 
That helps us out a whole ton. Even going the extra mile to share it maybe would be helpful. Also, Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, and Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. I have two links here, Brian. Yeah. Um, the first, I don't want to spend as much time on because I want to get into the meat of his second one. But we've been talking a little bit about some news regarding Tim Keller. Why yeah. don't you tell us what's going on? Tim Keller, if if you don't know of him, he is a prolific and well-respected author, pastor, uh, started Redeemer Presbyterian Church all across New York City. He stepped down from there, just retired a couple years ago. Um, he was the mentor to a uh, friend of the show, Scott Sauls, who we uh, talk about often here as well. And so I uh, love Tim Keller. I remember going to Exponential uh, Conference. Uh, this had to be seven, eight years ago, and Tim Keller was uh, – uh, was going to give an, a, um, a lesson, a sermon, and uh, they called him Yoda. <laughs> and could you picture doing this? He was in front of multiple thousand people, and he gave his entire message sitting on a stool. Like, it was just really like, okay. Yeah, that that's sounds about right for Keller. For so sure. anyway, you br- why are we bringing up Tim Keller? Tim Keller announced via Twitter this past weekend uh, that less than three weeks ago, he said, I didn't know I had cancer. Today, I'm heading to the National Cancer Institute at the NIH for additional testing before beginning chemotherapy for pancreatic cancer next week back in New York City. He goes on to say that they actually kind of found it in somewhat of a miraculous way because he wasn't sick. He was feeling great and had no symptoms. Uh, He said, I have terrific human doctors, but most importantly, I have the great physician himself caring for me. And so we wanted to highlight that because, um, you know, to be praying for Tim Keller and for his wife, Kathy, and their family, um, uh, because he is, uh, yeah, because he's in this battle now. And if you've never read or listened to any of Tim Keller's stuff, let me take this opportunity to encourage you to do so. Uh, because, uh, he is, he, uh, is a wealth of wisdom is a bit of an understatement. So praying for Tim Keller, uh, as he enters into this battle, uh, and at the end, he says, please be praying for the side effects of treatment to allow me to continue writing and speaking. No doubt he's going to write more. Uh, books in the midst of chemotherapy than we'll probably ever write combined in our lives. <laughs> I mean, write or read. Yeah. Probably. There you go. That too. <laughs> I'm going to write more than I read in a lifetime. Okay. The article I wanted to really get to, though, yep. is uh, from Life in the Gospel by Tim Keller. It's, it's called The Bible and Race. So if you've been with us for any length of time, you know, this is something that we've talked a lot about in particular the last couple of weeks, but probably over the last year and a half that we've had a show in the first place. And Keller, as you mentioned, is just one of those guys that brings such like depth and wisdom and balance, I think, to issues that can sometimes be really volatile. So why don't you uh, get us into this article? Yeah. And like you said, Tim Keller, he never uh, steers away from things that might get him those angry tweets, right? Or right. get him the emails. And he's been in the trenches, planted churches in New York City. Uh, and so he does say it's important to say at the outset, of course, that all of us read scripture through a lens. And then he goes in classic Keller fashion. He walks the Old Testament in race and he takes he unpacks the Old Testament in race. And then he goes to the New Testament in race. Like those of you who are looking for a biblical understanding and he already acknowledged he comes from a certain tradition. But uh, if you're looking for kind of a systematic uh, biblical look at race, he goes to the New Testament in race, Jesus and the nations, Pentecost and the nations, Peter, Paul and the early church. Uh, and then he goes to the gospel and race. And so um, I think what I appreciate about this article is it's it's Keller using 
uh, what he does best, right? A bit of a scholarly academic work to walk through race and the Bible uh, and end up helping us see, uh, if anyone out there is questioning it, that race uh, and social justice and racial equality is not a new issue. And it is a biblical issue. It's a gospel issue. And therefore, we as Christians need to treat it as such. We can't be like, oh, you know, those liberals or this or whatever. This is not a progressive versus conservative thing. This is a if you are a Bible believing uh, gospel accepting Christian, uh, then you've got to take this seriously. And I think Keller really adds some weight probably for a lot of people here uh, because he frames it through the entire arc of scripture. Yeah, let me just sort of read how he ends it. It's called The Gospel and Race. And he says, considering that it took three visions for Peter to see in Acts 10 and 11, the importance of racial equality within the church, it is remarkable to come to Galatians 2, where we see that he has fallen back into a refusal to eat with Gentile believers. Paul rebukes him, but the basis for his critique is crucial to study. He tells of this incident. This is Galatians 2. Read all of Galatians, but Galatians 2 in particular. Right. says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow, follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's basic argument to Peter is this. A. God did not have fellowship with you on the basis of your race and culture. Though you were good and devout, your race and customs had nothing to do with it. Your relationship with God is based on grace. Therefore, B, how then can you have fellowship with others on the basis of race and culture? Let's notice two things about what Paul is doing here. First, Paul's analysis of the sin is noteworthy. He does not simply say that racism is, is a sin, although it is indeed a failure to love one's neighbor as oneself. Rather, Paul is laying bare the spiritual roots of racism. It is a rejection of the gospel of salvation and a return to justification by our moral efforts or pedigree. Christians who fall into racism are continuing to trust in works righteousness in at least one part of their lives. Their hearts still oppose grace and seek to find ways of self-justification. They try to devise ways to feel superior, more acceptable, and better than others, and they use their racial characteristics to do so. Secondly, this is where Keller really picks up steam. Paul's actual treatment of the sin is brilliant. He does not simply say to Peter, repent of the sin of racism, you bigot. But rather, he said, repent of the sin of forgetting your gracious welcome by God through the costly sacrifice of Christ. Paul did not focus just on the behavior of sin, but also on the root of self-righteousness mm. beneath it. This approach is far more persuasive and effective than simply ranting at someone for being a racist. When you're trying to motivate people by urging them to see their riches in Christ, then you are pointing to their value and dignity in your appeal. You're not putting them down, but lifting them up, even as you critique. On the other hand, if you try to motivate people by shaming them, they will rightly sense a self-righteousness on your part, and this will only stimulate and enhance their self-righteousness, not diminish it. When we instead use God's grace as a motivator, we can mm. criticize sharply and directly, but the listeners will generally be able to perceive that we are nonetheless for them. And then I'll just end with this. Peter's racial pride was also grounded in fear. Verse 12, he was afraid. When our sin is rooted in fear, we need to be loved and strengthened in order to get the courage to do right in spite of our fear. If Paul only said your racism is a violation of the rules of God, that fearfulness would not have been addressed. 
But when Paul said your racism is a violation of the grace and mercy of God to you, he was also addressing Peter's fear. He appealed, you've forgotten Christ's love for you, Peter, which to me, again, read the whole thing. It's yes. masterfully written. It's full Keller, but it's so wise. And I think there's a lot there. It's on our Facebook page. We would love to know what you think. And I'm absolutely thrilled for our next guest, pastor, founding pastor of New Hope Covenant Church in Chicago, Quentin Mumphrey, will be joining us for two segments. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a number of places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, and wherever it is you get your podcast. If you wouldn't mind, all that subscribing, rating, reviewing nonsense that you're so tired of hearing us talk about, it actually does help, and it helps the algorithm, helps the show get in front of more people, and we're so grateful for those of you who have already done that. And Brian and I have been saying, for the last couple of weeks in particular, how we really want to just sort of take the posture of listeners and learners. And I am really, really excited to have on the show for the first time, Pastor Quentin Mumphrey. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much. Hey, we'll get into some of the particulars about why I'm so excited you're on the show, but would you just take a a minute or two and introduce yourself to our audience? My pleasure. So uh, my name is Quentin Mumphrey. I serve as the founder and senior pastor of New Hope Covenant Church Chicago. Uh, We are a four-year-old church plant on the southeast side of the city of Chicago. Uh, so we've been, yeah, as I said, four years in. Uh, also part of a couple of church planting networks and fellowships and um, a lot of our community work and outreach. So I'm a native Chicagoan, grew up on the south side of the city, grew up in the Auburn Gresham community. I currently mm-hmm. live in the South Shore community. And uh, so I am a proud Chicagoan through and through. Nice. And Quentin, we're really grateful for you joining us. Something that we've just asked everybody who's come on uh, in the last week or two is just what have these last two weeks been like for you personally? And uh, what have these last two weeks been like for your church? Oh, so for me personally, to be very honest, it's been an emotional roller coaster Mm -hmm. um, on a a few different levels. Um, One is, you know, Obviously, we're still in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. where uh, we're in this kind of new normal. So, you know, there's been a lot of adjustment, obviously, over the last couple of months dealing with that reality. And so the last couple of weeks have heightened it, um, you know, obviously with the George Floyd case and prior to the George Floyd case, the Ahmaud Arbery case in Georgia. My family's originally from Georgia, so that one really hit home mm-hmm. for me. My dad uh, grew up in southern Georgia, so that one was very painful to watch and to hear about. Um, so again, that one hit, really hit close to home. So there was a, just kind of a range of reactions and emotions that I personally felt as an African-American man. Um, and then um, also with the, you know, I participated in a couple of peaceful protests, you know, following that. But then when um, some of the uh, other events began to unfold with some of the clashes with police and riots and all kind of things, mm-hmm. uh, it was just, a lot of emotion there, pain, frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, myself and a, a few other guys, we kind of got out when a lot of the looting was going on um, the other week and um, just kind of stood in front of some of the um, businesses, some of the black-owned businesses in our community mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of try and protect them. Uh, and wow. so one of the things is, it was, you know, growing up on the south side of the city, I know how difficult economic development has been. Right. And so seeing some of these businesses hit uh, was really painful. 
but I believe that we're in a defining moment. So it's been just a really, really odd mixture of emotions for me personally. Yeah, as far as my yeah. church, um, it's, it's been similar. You know, I, my, my church, we're, we're on the southeast side of the city. We're family African-American church um, and um, majority younger church. You know, most mm. of my folks are anywhere from the 20s to early 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, for many of my folks, we have a few seniors who kind of live through the civil rights movement. My mom is one of them. Mm. Um, and so it's just been really kind of an interesting conversation with some of my members. Um, they, Some of them also participate in some of the uh, protests and activity. Um mm because I believe that we're in a defining moment as a country. We did also just some check-ins just on how people are doing spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Yeah. We did a check-in with some of our, some of the, I did a check-in with some of the men from my church last week and the ladies, ladies also had a check-in. So just been trying to see how people are doing yeah. uh, again in the midst of the pandemic. We're not, you know, we're streaming services, so we're not physically meeting as a church. So it was difficult uh, pastoring people virtually in a season like this. Right, right. Well, and, and Brian and I are both pastors, so we, I mean, at least in that regard, we we hear you. And you met, you mentioned something a minute or two ago, how you, you feel like you're you're kind of on the brink of something, you or your church or the city of Chicago. Can you talk a little bit more about, about what you mean by that? Well, you know, um, in, in Luke 19, the Bible says how Jesus looked over the city and wept and said, because they did not know the hour of their visitation. Hmm. Um, and and that, that always struck me, that hour of visitation in the Greek, that is the word kairos, as opposed to the typical word chronos, which is time as we measure it in minutes, seconds, hours, and days, mm. calendar time. Um, but chronos, uh, kairos is that divinely appointed moment, God's mm. timing. It's a strategic moment. And I believe that we're in a kairos moment in mm. our nation right now. Mm. Um, we are at a tipping point, and we have moved beyond the turning point. And what I mean by that is, there, there is a point in which um, we cannot go back to what was, you know, right. right. Um, I look, you know, I, I travel quite a bit and I think about, you know, airline travel, right. When back before the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. you know, when a plane is on a runway and it begins to taxi at a certain point, it gains so much momentum that the only way is up. Mm-hmm. Um, that if a plane gains so much momentum and speed on the ground and then tries to hit the brake, it will skid on the runway and collide or, or have some kind of you know accident. Uh, so at a certain point, when you gather so much momentum, the only way is to go up. And I believe that we are at a turning point, a point of no return in our nation right now, where because um, people are beginning to respond to what we are seeing and hearing uh, in ways that has not happened before. Uh, people who have kind of been oblivious to uh, the reality of racism um, are are not just saying thoughts and prayers, which was typically the response when we see videos like this before, but people are beginning to ask real questions like, well, how can we stop this? How can we Mm. um, make sure that these kind of things don't continue to happen? Uh, What is the redemptive moment? And I believe as followers of Jesus, we are called not only to peace, but to justice. And many times uh, as believers, we sometimes want to separate the two. But uh, I believe as a gospel follower, uh, we cannot separate peace from justice because um, God is a God of justice. So uh, that's what I mean by, you know, we're at this point of no return. I believe that we're, there's so much momentum right now. Right. Uh, from so many sectors of society that we have reached a crescendo mm-hmm. whereby uh, we have to go forward. That's mm. powerful. 
I'm wondering, this could be might be a hard question, but what do you think those next step forwards are when the you know the kind of protests die down and, and things go back a little bit to normal? What do you see on the horizon as those next steps? Well, I think I believe one of the things is um, we the, as a next step moving from conversation to actual action, right? Mm. Uh, I believe the scriptures call us to put feet to our faith. The book of James tells us faith without works is dead. And so we have to put feet to our faith and do some actual tangible action items and next steps in terms of what does it look like to rebuild communities? Uh, what is, what is equity, right? Um, mm. you know, historically, if we say things like, well, you know, um, because there's been this issue, because there's been this, this, you know, this tension, we will start a new program or a new initiative. What, you know, what I believe and what I see as a next step is bigger than just starting a new program or a new mm. initiative. Um, I believe that we have to have real equity uh, as a nation really begin to ask the question of what does it look like to invest in cities uh, and not invest in ways that are this this kind of patriarchal way of, okay, we'll give a little money to this organization here and right. that one there, but right. uh, ways that help build infrastructure, ways that are sustainable. Right. Um, you know, black business owners in this nation are 0.2% of all the business receipts in this country, but 13% of the population. Wow. So that's an equity conversation, right? So what can be done on an infrastructure end? Uh, because of, uh, um, there's an old saying that when America catches a cold, black America catches pneumonia. Mm. And that is because the, the challenges that we see in society are always exasperated in the black community, uh, as we've seen even with COVID-19. Uh, so if the unemployment rate in society as a whole is 6%, typically it'll be uh, above 12% and predominantly black communities. Wow. Uh, and so what that requires is, like I said, not just, okay, let's start a, a, an employment training program. No, um, we have to look at building real infrastructure in communities that is sustainable because programs run with budget cycles That's and right. those run out. That's what do you right. do when the grant dries up? Um, right. You know, you can't, you, you, the scripture talks about digging wells, right? Um, whenever a certain place dried up, they would have to go and dig a new well. You know, when the Lord told Elijah, uh, to go and sit by the brook of Kareth, and I would call raising ravens to feed you. The Bible says that there was a point at which the brook dried up, and the Lord told him it's time to move. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're talking about talking about is not just a temporary place where you sit by a brook that's going to dry up. Mm. We have to have something that is a continual flow that's, in our city. That's so good. That's so good. You've listened to Quentin Mumphrey, who's the founding pastor of New Hope Covenant Church right here in Chicago. You need to go to nhccc.org. That's nhccc.org for New Hope Covenant Church Chicago. You just a little bit ago were uh, going to Facebook Live talking about something mm-hmm. called pre- Prescriptions of Hope. Can you talk to us a little more about that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My pleasure. So myself and another pastor friend of mine, uh, Pastor Will Hall, we are... Um, us and a few others are, are working on an initiative called uh, Prescriptions of Hope. Uh, for It's primarily targeted at seniors in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that happened when the uh, riots and uh, the looting broke out uh, the other week is that um, most of the Walgreens, uh, uh, particularly on the south side of the city where I live and where I pastor, most of the Walgreens are now shut down, wow. uh, which is obviously the largest um, pharmacy chain, uh, you know, and so uh, most of them are shut down. Hmm. Uh, and last year, Target also closed both of their main stores on the south side of Chicago. Wow. The one actually right around the corner from my church on Cottage Grove. And they also closed the one on 115th and the and I-57. So they were all, so those were 
many of them have essential medications that they need, but their pharmacy is now shut down. Wow. There, uh, there is a plan to reopen some of them. Um, I don't know, you know, all of them. I don't I haven't gotten into all of that conversation, but we had to find a temporary fix. And so 200 pharmacies, which is uh, 91st and Stony Island on the south side of the city, is a independent black-owned pharmacy. Uh, Mr. White has been there for many years. Hmm. Uh, but because he's an independent pharmacy, you know, they can't compete on with a, a Walgreens in terms of getting, buying drugs from the drug companies at certain rates. Right. And so what we are doing is an initiative to do two things. One, to offset the cost of these businesses. We're working with the pharmacy to raise money to offset the cost so that they don't have to charge exorbitant prices to the seniors for the medication. And two, um, we're doing a, a piece with that called Prescriptions of Hope where we're buying 5,000 pill bottles. Wow. And we're, gonna, and we're inserting scriptures and just inspirational messages of hope for seniors in these bottles. And we're going to be having it, you know, we're getting volunteers to sign up to deliver them to some of the seniors uh, just as a way of offering encouragement. So, you know, we want to help them get their medications because many of them have conditions, you know, again, with seniors, right. you have things like diabetes, hypertension, uh, other ailments that they, that they deal with. But we all want to also offer them some hope in the midst of it and let them know, hey, Jesus loves you. We're praying for you. Um, you know, God still cares about you. Many of our seniors feel isolated at times, right. particularly those who don't have a lot of family caring for them. And so what we don't want is, you know, they already have this challenge of getting their medication. So we want to do something on both levels, both tangibly and spiritually. I love you know, that. Kind of and spiritual uh, love to offer some hope to them. Oh, that's powerful. Quentin. So that's a nice version of the initiative. That's great. Uh, I saw also that you had the opportunity to speak or do an interview yesterday with Community Christian Church, Ian's network of churches there. And uh, I'm just curious with that that platform speaking to a lot of churches out in the suburbs, uh, also in the city. Uh, what was your hope? What was the message that you shared yesterday? Well, it was a few things. One, um, and I'm just grateful for Dave Ferguson and his friendship and uh, he's been a, a, a great friend and um, just genuine person all around, and, uh, and and intentionally in relationship. And so I'm 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 glad that uh, there are those who you know white pastors and, and those who serve in white contexts who are authentically trying to understand how we can really genuinely work together. So yeah. my hope for the conversation was one that we could have an honest conversation. Yeah. Um, that says you know what are the issues that we're dealing with, um, and one of the things that Dave and I talked about was being able to see um, the, the, the American plight of racism from my own lens, right? So many times people approach conversations about race and racism uh, from a lens of what they have known and what they have understood. And I've had, I've talked to many white folk who, you know, when I explain some experiences or even experiences of my families or even the perspective, and it's, it, it is just a whole different world. And it's kind of like, whoa, I, I, it's hard to believe because it's so far from what they have experienced. And so the hope of that conversation was, one, to help understand the perspective, the experience, and the lens, but also to talk about how are some ways that we can move forward. Because we don't want to just stop at the point of saying, well, this is, you know, America has a it has a race problem, and that's the end of the conversation. Right. Um, so the hope in that conversation was to be honest about it, right? Just, let's, let's not ignore it. Let's not sweep it under the rug. Let's not try to sanitize it. It is a real issue. But we have to do something about it. So, right. uh, but we also want to do something about it in, in ways that are God honoring and that are, that are truthful. Uh, you know, one of the things that the Bible says, we have to speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. The Bible right. says that Jesus, Jesus came full of grace and truth. And most of the time, and what I've seen is many times in the kingdom, we men 
tend to, we lean on one side or the other, either grace or truth. And mm-hmm. God calls to embody both. That's so good. I, I, I want to talk a little more about that particular message because my wife and I were actually just talking about it earlier today. And I just want you to know, man, that that had such a deep impact in our house. And we're, we're just so grateful personally for your, your wisdom and your courage and your insight. One of the things that resonated with both of us was this phrase. I'll quote it. You said, we're mandated to help earth reflect heaven. Can you talk a little bit more about what do you mean by that? We were just we're in a series about the Lord's Prayer, and we kind of just taught on it a couple of weeks ago. But what what does it mean to you for Earth to reflect Heaven? Well, you know, I'm, I, I I look at a lot of times you, when you look at the Gospel, Jesus also talked about the kingdom, right? But we think of the kingdom so many times as just a place. We think when we say the kingdom, a lot of times we think only heaven. So when, when I get into the kingdom, but Jesus talked about. He said that the kingdom, uh, you know, the apostle calls it the kingdom is within. He said, Jesus talked about, I'm sorry, the kingdom is within. And he talked about the kingdom is life. He gave parables that describe the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is when he gave the model prayer, um, which I, I don't really call it the Lord's prayer. I call it the model prayer because mm-hmm. uh, I believe the, the real Lord's prayer that Jesus prayed was in John 17, which That's I'll right. get to in a second. But when he gave the prayer to the disciples, he said, pray in this way. He said, uh, pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this principle of making earth reflect heaven is when Jesus said, pray that the kingdom will come on earth the mm-hmm. same way the kingdom is in heaven. And the, the word kingdom uh, the, uh, in the Greek, the Basilia, which means the rule and the reign of God or God's mm-hmm. way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So we want earth to reflect how God does things and the way that God orders things in heaven. So in other words, if there's no hunger in heaven, we should work to eradicate hunger on earth. Mm-hmm. If there's no hatred in heaven and there's no injustice and oppression in heaven, we should work to eradicate those things on earth as well. Um, and so when I talk about earth as earth reflecting heaven, uh, that's what I mean is having kingdom of God values that inform and direct how we minister, how we serve and how we live here on earth. Yeah. So good. Quentin, we're really grateful for you joining us. I'm wondering with the last minute or so that we have left, how can we and how can our listeners be praying for you? Well, one is uh, praying for the initiative that we have with the prescriptions of hope, that it is impactful, that it's helpful to the seniors on the south side of Chicago, that they're blessed and encouraged, also, and also spiritually that they're encouraged by it. Um, ways that you can pray for me is just simply that God would continue to give me the strength and the wisdom uh, to lead in this climate. You know, as you all know, being pastors, mm-hmm. uh, we, we weren't trained in seminary for this. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Had a pastor in a pandemic, right? right. So, um, <laughs> all of the models and things that we were taught. I've been in ministry. Uh, I've, I've, you know, New Hope is four years old, we're in a four and a half year old church, but I've been in ministry in some capacity or another for a little over 20 years. Wow. And nothing that I've seen or understood in ministry has prepared for this. So, just mm-hmm. I solicit prayers for uh, just strength, wisdom, understanding, and fresh ideas and insights. Yeah. Um, because, again, Absolutely. we haven't been this way before. Mm-hmm. Man, we, we will absolutely be praying for you. That voice you're hearing is Pastor Quentin Mumphrey. He's the founding pastor of New Hope Covenant Church Chicago. I can't encourage you enough. I'm going to get the website right this time, nhccc.org. That's nhccc.org. Quentin, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Thank you both. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. We're on the home stretch here between Brian and I, and I'm going to let Brian talk to you about where you can find us on social media. 
Yeah, we've had lots of great articles, but particularly great interviews today and over the past week or two. And so we'd encourage you to go find them a couple different places. One of them is on our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You could also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. But if you really want to go find some of those old shows, go to 1160hope.com. And you can find all our old shows there or our podcast. We're really grateful for those of you who do listen to the podcast. Here's what we would love for you to do. Subscribe, rate, and review. And even maybe share it with a friend. Let them know about uh, about the Common Good podcast. That does help us. And uh, we are grateful for those of you who listen to the podcast. That is right. And also, real briefly, Thriven.com. Big fan of Thriven. I've been a Thriven member for like eight years. Highly recommend you check them out. Also, if you're looking for a career change, Thriven.com slash careers is a wonderful place to go peruse even, I mean, just what's the harm? Go dip your toe in those digital waters and uh, see if maybe there isn't something that catches your fancy. All right. So Mark Galley, who we've had on the show a couple of times, kind of friend of the show, yeah, friend kind of, of the show. Kind of, you think everyone's a friend of the show, Brian. I don't yeah. think. I don't think there's as many friends of the show as you think there are. <laughs> well, who's happier? You or me I know, I know that you're like a words of affirmation guy. And a, <laughs> you know, I don't want to end on a negative note here. But either way, we, we sort of had a pre and post uh, infamous Christianity Today article. But I just I, I found him to be an incredibly thoughtful, kind, humble, wise uh, leader and writer and thinker. And he wrote over at markgalley.com, that's markgalley.com, he, with the headline, a question that you've asked, I think, both of our guests today, actually, after the yeah. protests, now what? What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, he says, after absorbing the video of George Floyd gasping for breath under the knee of a policeman, the country erupted in the protest. And later on, he goes, uh, while the protests continue, people are starting to ask, what do we do now? Indeed, what can we do about Uh, intractable racism. Uh, He says, I believe one answer comes from our Lord, of course, but what that answer looks like is seen in a little known moment in the life of St. Francis of Assisi. He says it occurred at a general chapter of the Franciscan order in September of 1220 from its uh, small beginnings, 10 years earlier, where a dozen men lived together in humble dwellings. The, uh, the, uh, the order now numbered thousands of men all over Europe. It was everything Francis had dreamed of. Uh, he said, surely the Lord had made all this possible and no one in the order would have disagreed. Francis was the man of the hour and the era and his leadership was desperately needed more than ever. But Francis pulled a fast one on his brothers. He announced at the general chapter that he was going to step down as the head of the order and he would turn it over to brother Peter of Cantonio. Uh, The brothers were stunned. Many openly wept. They pleaded for him to change his mind, but Francis refused to drive home his decision. He bowed before Peter and asked him to appoint him a companion who, quote, who will represent your authority to me and whom I shall obey as if I were obeying you. And so Galley's article goes a lot longer, but I think his answer to is what now uh, is is really a poignant one out of Assisi's life here of St. Francis's life in which. Uh, at his, the peaks of his powers, if you will, the peaks of his influence, he uh, intentionally and deliberately put himself under the authority of somebody else, even though he could have just become more powerful. And I think Galley's point here is, I think that the way forward for societal change is for those who have been in power. What does it look like to take steps uh, to put yourself even under the authority of some 
uh, that may not, that, that, uh, culture may not normally do that. And this is a, this convicting, uh, but also a really powerful answer, I think. Yeah. Let me just read a little more from Galley. He says, since I came of age in the 1960s, I've watched many a demonstration and right in the name of racial justice. The same slogans and mantras appeared time and time again from justice now to work the system. But my conclusion after six decades is that the system is broken. And I would say maybe I saw Judah Smith on a, uh, a call that he did with T.D. Jakes a couple of days ago. Said, he went even further. He's like, I don't think it's broken. I, I think it's working exactly the way that it was built to work. Um, mm-hmm. That's maybe a discussion for another time. So that's because it's run by the ideas of the dominant political and social class, which now includes a fair number of minorities who have gained access precisely because they have agreed to abide by these ideas. They are mm-hmm. all addicted to privilege, even when these elites say they ardently that they ardently desire change. It's complicated, they say. It takes time, they say. You just don't understand, they say. And yes, we say, I said such things a few too many times as editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. I no longer believe that the privilege will ever get around to the justice demanded by the marginalized, and so it's time to turn the problem over to someone else. This is getting to your point, Brian. We privileged have had our historical moment in the sun, and I'm Mm. proud of what we have accomplished in our time. We're not nearly as evil and clueless as the woke make us out to be, to use a football analogy, we've carried the ball of justice into the red zone, but there is some defect in the way that we think and the way that we execute that prevents any significant progress from taking point any in the forward, in the for, in the forward progress from this point forward. It's apparent we can't get the ball across the goal line. Time for some new coaches, new offensive coordinators, and new quarterbacks. And Brian, I just want you to recognize that I really wove an NFL theme into today's show. I mean, I mean, it is not it is not going unnoticed. Let's put it All that right. way. Just with a lot of intentionality, and I know that a Brian Fromm favorite is to go to the last paragraph and sort of wrap us up. Right. We only have about a minute or so left. Why don't you read the last paragraph or two of this article? Yeah, let me read the last two. He says, this move alone, if done by enough Christians and churches, community groups and nonprofits, could revolutionize the face of Christianity in America. Seeing Christians of privilege take the gospel sayings of Jesus seriously, following the footsteps of St. Francis, why it might give unbelievers cause to question their unbelief and cynicism. Martin Luther King Jr. expressed Christian eschatology eloquently when he said the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. It also bends the mighty and the proud and puts them on their knees so they can wash feet and raise others up as did their Lord. Powerful words from Mark Galley. Yeah, man, that's a powerful way to end the show today. Very special thanks again to Derwin Gray and Quentin Mumphrey and our thoughts and prayers with Tim Keller and his family. It has been a joy to be with you all today. We hope that you'll join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. or on the podcast. For Brian Fromm, my name is Ian Simpkins, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're like